Chapter 3 of Tea and Tea Drinking. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Tea and Tea Drinking by Alfred Reed. Tea Meetings. The Teetotalers in Tea. Extravagance of Ladies. Joseph Livesey. Reform drunkards as water carriers. 1,200 persons at one tea party. How they brewed their tea. How the Anti-Corn Law League reached the people. Singing the praises of tea. Tea drinking contests. Tea fights. Hints on tea meeting fair. Tea as a revolutionary agent. How did tea meetings originate? According to a writer in the Newcastle Chronicle, the teetotalers were the first to introduce these popular social gatherings. Originally started as a medium of raising funds, he says, they were conducted in a very different style from that so widely adopted at the present day. Our friends knew of no such thing as a contract for the supply of the viands at so much a head, and they had no experience to teach them how many square yards of bread a pound of butter could be made to cover. Our wives and sweethearts then undertook the purveying and management of our tea parties. Each took a table accommodating from 16 to 20 persons and presided in person. And oh, what a hearty, jolly, comfortable gatherings we used to have in the old music hall in Blackett Street, amidst the abundance of singing hinnies, hot wigs, and spice loaf served up in tempting display tea of the finest flavor served in the best china from the most elegant of teapots accompanied with the brightest of spoons the thickest of creams and the blandest of smiles it is much to be regretted that this excess of gratification should have produced an evil which ultimately changed the character of these pleasant assemblies a spirit of rivalry among the ladies as to who should have the richest and most elegantly furnished table became so prevalent that their lords and masters were obliged to protest against the excessive expenditure and thus the ladies not being allowed to have their own way declined to take any further share in the work this was a great misfortune as the proceeds considerably augmented the resources of the temperance society no such fate met these popular gatherings in other towns. They were conducted on a scale of great magnitude, especially in the birthplace of the temperance movement in England, the town of Preston. Here lives Joseph Livesey, the patriarch of the movement, now in his 91st year. The third tea party of the Preston Temperance Society in 1833, at Christmas, is thus described the range of rooms was most elegantly fitted up for the occasion the walls were all covered with white cambric ornamented with rosettes of various colours and elegantly interspersed with a variety of evergreens the windows fifty-six in number were also festooned and ornamented with considerable taste the tables six hundred thirty feet in length were covered with white cambric at the upper and lower ends of each side room were mottoes in large characters temperance sobriety peace plenty 
and at the center of the room connecting the others was displayed in similar characters the motto happiness the tables were divided and numbered and eighty sets of brilliant tea requisites to accommodate parties of ten persons each were placed upon the table with two candles to each party a boiler also capable of containing two hundred gallons was set up in mr halliburton's yard to heat water for the occasion and was managed admirably by those reformed characters about forty men principally reformed drunkards were busily engaged as waiters water carriers etc those who waited at the tables wore white aprons with temperance printed on the front the tables were loaded with provisions and plenty seemed to smile upon the guest a thousand tickets were printed and sold at sixpence in one shilling each but the whole company admitted is supposed to be about twelve hundred eight hundred twenty sat down at once and the rest were served afterwards the pleasure and enjoyment which beamed from every countenance would baffle every attempt at description and the contrast betwixt this company and those were intoxicating liquors are used in an unanswerable argument in favour of temperance associations a tea-party at liverpool in eighteen thirty six was attended by a greater number and the account shows very clearly that the early temperance gatherings will contrast favourably with the large blue ribbon meetings held at the present time the great room where tea was provided was fitted up in a style of elegance surpassing anything we could have imagined the platform and the orchestra for the band were most tastefully decorated the beams and walls of the building were richly ornamented with evergreens and in the appropriate mottoes the tables were laid out with tea equipages interspersed with flower-pots filled with roses when the party sat down in number about two thousand five hundred a most imposing sight presented itself wealth beauty and intelligence were present and great numbers of reformed characters respectably clad with their smiling partners added no little interest to the scene which was beyond the power of language to describe in eighteen thirty seven the isle of man temperance guardian reported a tea-meeting at leeds at which nearly seven hundred persons sat down another at bury where five hundred of both sexes sat down a tea-party at exeter is thus described the arrangements were very judicious and nearly four hundred made merry with the cup that cheers but not inebriates among whom were numbers of highly respectable ladies and citizens of exeter this novel feature presented a most interesting and gratifying sight from which the spirit of cordiality and good feeling which pervaded it and cannot but have the most beneficial effect upon society for the benefit of societies which had not adopted this new and successful method of teaching the public the secretary of the bristol society gave the following account of a christmas tea-party the tables were provided with tea services milk sugar cakes and bread and butter and one waiter appointed to each who was furnished with a bright clean tea-kettle while the tea which was previously made stood in a corner of the room in large barrels with a tap in each from which each waiter drew his supply as required 
and filled the cups when empty, without noise, confusion, or delay. The following receipt for tea-making was given in the Preston Temperance Advocate of July 1836. At the tea parties in Birmingham, they made the tea in large tins, about a yard square and a foot deep, each one containing as much as will serve about 250 persons. The tea is tied loosely in bags, about one-fourth pound in each. At the top there is an aperture, into which the boiling water is conveyed by a pipe from the boiler, and at one corner there is a tap, from which the tea, when brewed, is drawn out. It may be either sweetened or milked, or both, if thought best, while in the tins. Being thus made, it can be carried in teapots or jugs, where those cannot be bad. Capital T was made at the last festival by this plan. Considering the high price of tea and of bread at the time, it is scarcely credible that a charge of nine pence per head for men and women, and of six pence for youths under fourteen, was found sufficient to defray the cost, as well as to benefit the funds of the temperance society. The value of such gatherings to the temperance movement it is impossible to estimate. Weaned from the use of fury beverages, the reformed drunkard needed a substitute which would be at once harmless as well as stimulating. In tea he found exactly what he wanted. He needed, moreover, company of an elevating kind, and in the tea party he found the craving for the companionship of men and women fully satisfied. It was by this agency chiefly that the converts to teetotalism were kept together and instructed in the principles of total abstinence from all intoxicating liquors, and we are not surprised that the consumption of drink fell off largely in consequence. Dr. J. H. Curtis, writing in 1836, contended that the introduction of tea and coffee into general use had done much towards reducing the consumption of intoxicating drinks, and, although the expenditure upon intoxicating drinks still remains a formidable amount, there can be no doubt that the general use of tea has lessened the consumption of alcohol. These gatherings continue very popular, but do not draw such large numbers as in the early days of the movement. But it is open to question whether the time spent upon them might not be more profitably employed. A writer in the Band of Hope Chronicle, January 1882, calls attention to this aspect of tea meetings. There should be, he contends, moderation even in tea drinking, and when we hear of four or five hours at a stretch being spent over this process at public gatherings, as it seems the good folks do in some parts of the Isle of Man, one cannot but feel there is need for improvement. What would be thought if the time were occupied with the consumption of stronger beverages than tea? There would be a little prospect of orderliness in the after proceedings then. So, anyhow, the tea drinkers have the best of it even when they are at their worst. The example of the teetotalers was followed by other reformers. The Preston Temperance Advocate of October 1837 says, A tea party was held at Salford in honor of the return of Joseph Brotherton, squire, member of Parliament, 
for this town to which he was invited. It was attended by 10,050 persons, nearly 900 of whom were ladies, and the spectacle presented to the eye by such an assemblage was one of the most pleasing which I have ever witnessed. The Anti-Corn Law League also adopted similar means of bringing their friends and subscribers together. On the 23rd of November, 1842, writes Mr. Archibald Prentice, the historian of the movement, the first of a series of deeply interesting soirees in Yorkshire, in furtherance of the great object of corn law repeal, was celebrated in the saloon, beautifully decorated for the occasion, of the philosophical hall, Huddersfield. The occasion, says the Leeds Mercury, was one of high importance, not only for the dignity and benevolence of the object contemplated, but for the enthusiastic spirit manifested by the assembly of both sexes, of the first respectability, extensive in number, and intelligent and influential in its character. More than six hundred persons sat down to tea, and more than double that number would have been present had it been possible to provide accommodation. Mr. Prentice records many other tea meetings attended by six hundred and eight hundred persons. In Manchester, writes Mr. Henry Ashworth, a number of ladies took up the Corn Law question and held an anti-Corn Law tea party, which was attended by 830 persons. A hymn was specially composed for use at temperance gatherings, its purport being to show the superiority of tea meetings over public house meetings. It consisted of eight verses and was printed in the Moral Reformer of February 1833. One verse will give an idea of its character. Pure, refined, domestic bliss. Social meetings such as this. Banish sorrow, cares dismiss, and cheer all our lives. Total abstinence had not yet found much favor among artists, who too often paint the fleeting pleasures of the wine cup rather than the enduring pleasures of temperance. But in Mr. Collingwood Banks, we have an artist who can sing the praises of a cup of tea as well as paint the charms of a fireside tea table. To him we are indebted for the following song, which ought speedily to become popular among temperance societies. The Cup for Me Let others sing the praise of wine. Let others deem its joys divine. Its fleeting bliss shall near be mine. Give me a cup of tea, the cup that soothes each aching pain. Restores the sick to health again. Steals not from heart, steals not from brain. A friend when others flee. When sorrow frowns, what power can cheer? Or chase away the falling tear? Without the vile effects of beer, like Pico or Bohe. What makes the old man young and strong? Like Hyson, Congo, or So Chong. Which leave the burthen of his song. A welcome cup of tea. Then hail the grave celestial band, With planning mind and planting hand. Let us bless that golden land, So far across the sea, Whose hills and vales give fertile birth To that fair shrub of priceless worth, Which yields each son of mother earth, 
a fragrant cup of tea. Another hymn in praise of tea was used in Cornwall and often sung at tea meetings by the Reverend J. G. Hartley, a minister of the United Methodist Free Churches. The lines possess little poetical merit, but are worth quoting on account of the pleasure with which they have been received by tens of thousands of people, and of their influence in unlocking the pockets of the people when the box went round. When vanished spirits intertwine, and social sympathies combine, what of such friendship is a sign? A cup of tea, a cup of tea. When dullness seizes on the mind, And thought no liberty can find, What can the captive powers unbind? A cup of tea, a cup of tea. If one has given another pain, In distant coldness both maintain, What helps to make them friends again? A cup of tea, a cup of tea. And if discourse be sluggish growing, What are the cause to which tis owing? What's sure to set the tongue a-going? A cup of tea, a cup of tea. If things of use or decoration Require a friendly consultation, What greatly aids the conversation? A cup of tea, a cup of tea. And lastly, let us not forget The occasion upon which we're met, what helps to move a chapel debt? A cup of tea, a cup of tea. It has served us many a good turn, writes Mr. Hartley, and has helped to clear many a chapel debt. It would be difficult, no doubt, in our day to cite a single case of a tea party attended by 500 persons. But if large gatherings are fewer, small ones are more frequent. Every chapel, every church, Every day school, every Sunday school, every religious association has at least four tea parties a year, and thus not only is a very large amount of tea consumed, but a very large number of people are brought under good influences. In rural districts, the Christmas tea party is the event of the year. It is attended by all the lads and lasses in the neighborhood, by the milkmaids and the plowmen, who make sad havoc with the cake. Wonderful, also, is the amount of tea consumed. In fact, a tea-drinking contest takes place at these annual reunions. At any rate, he is the hero of the table who can drink the most. We have referred to the decreasing popularity of tea meetings, and believe that one way of reviving the interest in these festivals would be to provide better refreshments, as well as a greater variety. From the land's end to John O'Groats, the bill of fare is limited to currant cake and bread and butter of the cheapest kind. In some cases, where the charge is a shilling per head, beef and sandwiches are provided. An announcement of a knife-and-fork tea at a primitive Methodist chapel never fails to secure a good attendance of the members and friends. In Lancashire, such meetings are not unfrequently called tea fights, probably on account of the scramble for sandwiches which characterizes the proceedings. But neither cake nor sandwich is sufficient to tempt all who are interested in these social entertainments. The promoters would do well to follow the example of the vegetarian society and provide more fruit and substantial bread, both white and brown. In summer, all the fruits in season should be placed upon the tables, 
and in winter stewed fruits. The following hints on tea meeting fare, written by the late Mr. R. N. Sheldrick, who was an active missionary agent of the Vegetarian Society, may prove of service to all who cater for tea meetings. 1. Provide good tea, pure, fresh ground coffee, cocoa, etc. Let the making of these decoctions be superintended by an experienced friend. Serve up nice and hot, but without milk or sugar, leaving these to be added or not, according to the individual tastes. 2. Procure a plentiful supply of good wholemeal wheaten brown bread, some white bread, some currant cake, home-baked if possible, without dripping or lard, two or three varieties of reading biscuits, such as Osborne, tea, picnic, arrowroot, etc. 3. Purchase from the nearest market sufficient lettuce, kale, celery, cress, and other fresh salads according to season. Also provide a liberal supply of figs, muscatel almonds, nuts, oranges, apples, pears, plums, cherries, strawberries, peaches, or such other fruit as may be in season. 4. Take care, whatever arrangement be adopted, not to let these things be hidden away until the latter part of the feast. Fruits should have the place of honor. The plates or baskets of fruit should have convenient positions along the tables with the bread and butter, biscuits, etc. 5. Place the arrangements under the control of a well-selected committee of ladies who will see that the tables are tastefully laid out and that everybody is supplied. Let there be also, if possible, a profusion of fresh-cut flowers. Tea, it is true, has not yet worked a complete revolution in the habits of the people, but it has done much to lessen intemperance. Dr. Sigmund, writing nearly half a century ago, referred to its influences for good. Tea has, in most instances, he said, been substituted for fermented or spirituous liquors, and the consequence has been a general improvement in the health and in the morals of a vast number of persons. The tone, the strength, and the vigor of the human body are increased by it. There is a greater capability of enduring fatigue. The mind is rendered more susceptible of the innocent pleasures of life, and of acquiring information. Whole classes of the community have been rendered sober, careful, and provident. The wasted time that followed upon intemperance kept individuals poor, who are now thriving in the world and exhibiting the results of honest industry. Men have become healthier, happier, and better for the exchange they have made. They have given up a debasing habit for an innocent one. The individuals who were outcasts, miserable, abandoned, have become independent and a blessing to society. Their wives and their children hail them on their return home from their daily labors with their prayers and fondest affections, instead of shunning their presence, fearful of some barbarity or some outrage against their better feelings. Cheerfulness and animation follow upon their slumbers, instead of the wretchedness and remorse which the wakening drunkard ever experiences. This picture, it will be observed, 
is a little overcolored, but in the main, it will be granted that tea and other similar beverages have done a good deal to displace spirituous and fermented liquors. The use of tea has certainly resulted in great benefit to the health and morals of the people. End of Tea Meetings